morning, church. It is not only a good feeling to be here to worship our God, it is a word that is unspeakable to be able to be here. What an honor and privilege, what a blessing that God not only um, has awakened us, my beds of slumber, but that, that this day could come. And here it is, the greatest day of the week when we get to come together as God's people to worship our God. Let's go to God in prayer, please. A wonderful, masterful, heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you for blessing this day, another day, a day of salvation, a day from your grace, a day from your mercy, as you've allowed us to assemble. Lord God, please bless us that our minds will be focused only on you. That we will remember Jesus. And be thankful for the amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf. That we'll rid our minds of worldly thought. That we'll be the people you would have us to be. And give us strength from your word to continue to fight the good fight of faith. It's in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome and holy name of Jesus Christ. We do pray and give thee thanks. It be thy will. Amen. This morning the lesson is um, from the idea, from the scripture of atonement. And there are great definitions of atonement. And I'll look at a definition in, in just a moment. But a, a simplistic definition of atonement is it comes from the idea that we broke it God fixed it I mean, that's what it is it had nothing to do with us it has everything to do with God we broke the covenant and God fixed the covenant and for that church we are eternally grateful to our masterful God for his mercy. And it takes and it took the only perfect and holy and just God who could fix the covenant that we broke. And God made a way where there was no way. God made a way to remove sin, that which was contrary to the Godhead. God made a way to fix it. Atonement. Isaiah chapter 59. The depth of what God has done is when we find ourselves in sin. And I'll tell you something sad. Sadly, today, sin is, is uh, laughed upon, right? Even sometimes amongst our, our, our body of believers. The sin is not necessarily taken seriously. That we really don't think about the the greatness of the atonement and the horribleness of that which is contrary to it. Why do we have to have an atonement? I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The day of atonement. So here's what happens. Every time, church, that we sin, we are desperately in need of the great grace and mercy and the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to make us right with God again. 
And for the Christian, 1 John 1 tells us that, well, uh, if you find yourself in sin, you, you confess your fault, right? You confess your sin, you repent of your sin, and God who is faithful will forgive you of your sin. And for the non-Christian, God says in order to remove your sins, you must submit to him in the waters of baptism, hearing his word and believing it and repenting of your sins and confessing his name before men and then being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And you don't have to go through that over and over again. And once you're a Christian, then you just repent of your sin and confess your sin. And you say, that seems so tedious. Church, it is critical. It is spiritually critical. So look at what happens every time we sin. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, sin, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And that's why we need atonement. You see how critically serious this is? We're to live a life with Jesus. And I know Jesus' blood continually cleanses us, right? But we have to continually confess and continually repent. It's not that, you know, the old time uh, folks used to say a long time ago that I told my wife I loved her once and when I changed my mind, I'll tell her that. And sometimes I think Christians live that way. I asked God to forgive me once. I'm not going to ask him again. Because I've already asked God to forgive me. It is a continual process. Revelation uh, chapter 4. It's a book that helps us to uh, identify with the immediate destiny of the church. It was going through an amazing uh, amount of persecution. And then you find in uh, chapter 4 the, the greatness of our God, that God could fix a broken relationship, and he did that. And then it talks about the worthiness of Jesus, right? The worthiness of God in verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes all around them within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God. To receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. And then chapter 4 takes us into chapter 5 in this idea that here's the immediate destiny of the church. Here's our great God, but we're separate from our great God, and we need salvation. And the only way that we could find salvation was in this this seal. It was written. Chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. Verse 2 will be on the screen. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book 
written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And listen to verse 3. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Here's the destiny of humanity. It's written in a book and there's no one worthy. And John says, I wept, verse 4, and I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Church, this is a critical conversation we're having this morning. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold the lion. That is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders of the Lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, with, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. This morning, my question to you is, how grateful are you? Now, that's not something to be echoed, if you will, with words audibly, but rather in our living. What kind of lifestyle are you living? That's going to show, if you will, how grateful you are to our great God. Romans, please, chapter 5. Atonement is the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Atonement, the idea of reconciliation also. Reconciliation means uh, that, that God has, has saved us from his own wrath. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God has saved us from his own wrath by himself. He did it by himself. And he promised upon himself with an oath by himself because there was no one greater. He did it by himself. Sometimes I, I think, sometimes I hear, as I hear us talk, Christians talk, and even, even the world speak, I, I hear, it sounds like we think we're on an equal plane with God. You, you ever heard a, a Christian pray and say, dear God, buddy? If you hear that, it ought to make you shake in your boots. If you think that, you ought to shake in your boots. God is so far beyond us that it's immeasurable. We, we, have, to, we have to surrender to that. You ever heard a Christian say, I'm not going to surrender to God. I'm not going to do that. Even though the Word of God says to do it. You ever heard a Christian say that in anger? That, that's all free. That's not even part of my lesson. Listen. God fixed what we broke, right? 
verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through or from the wrath of God through him. So wrath. It wasn't that God was just angry. It isn't that the Godhead is just angry. It's wrath. Who wants to stand before a wrathful God? Hebrews 10 says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Who wants to stand before a wrath-filled God? Our arrogance is amazing. God did it by Himself. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, got to hold on to that word for a minute, enemies of God. I was an enemy of God. Every non-Christian is an enemy of God. Think about that. How many of us are or have made our alliances with the enemy. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In other words, God... 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 5. God fixed it. How grateful am I? What, what type of lifestyle am I living? How faithful am I to God? How faithful am I to God? You know what faithful is, right? You know that thing you really love the most, that you really enjoy doing? Sometimes, you know, whatever it is, whatever your hobby is, whatever the thing you, you know how faithful you are to it? Are you more faithful to that than you are? To worship, attendance. How faithful, how faithful am I to God? Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or trespasses, excuse me, against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God fixed it. Now, now for a while, maybe it looked like man was fixing it. Let's go back to Leviticus and let's, let's look at this and let's, let's understand uh, the, the teaching of the Word of God. The Day of Atonement. It came once a year and the high priest could enter uh, once and to the Holy of Holies and present an offering to God for the sins of Israel as well as for himself. But why that day? Well, see, because someone... Or in the Old Testament, something, an animal, had to pay the price for their sins. Now, now we know, let me just give you a precursor to, in just a moment, uh, the, the thought we're going to come to. It wasn't the blood of the animals. But in the mind of Israel, they were going through this, this continuous thing where you would treat God as holy and you would offer a sacrifice to God. And there were two men who decided that they didn't have to treat God as holy. 
two men who uh, decided that, um, well, you know, God's wrath really isn't that bad. Two men who decided in their minds that God is on an equal plane just like us. Let me show you what it's like before the God of heaven standing in his wrath. You know them. Leviticus 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. It is a terrifying thing to stand in the presence of a wrathful God, church. You say, oh, that's an Old Testament story. No, he made a fire called hell too. In verse 3, And Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. This morning, are we treating God as holy? This morning, are we treating God as holy? The God who deserves to be honored beyond all else. That was the day of atonement, you see. Leviticus 16. Because the forgiveness of sins, it can only be achieved through the grace and mercy of God. God is wrathful against sinful man. God is wrathful against sinful man. And God is wrathful against prideful sin. Right now we're in gay pride month, right? God is wrathful against sinful man. God is wrathful. How many of us are accomplices? Are we treating God as holy? Someone has to die for our sins, church. I don't want it to be me. I don't want to die in sin. Leviticus 16, in verse 6, the day of atonement. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. Notice that Aaron couldn't come before God to make atonement for others. No, Aaron, you too are guilty of sin. You have to first make atonement for yourself to God, for you and for your family. Verse 9. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot of the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. And then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. And make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. That's important. What if, what if Aaron thought about everybody else, but forgot about himself? You ever done that? You ever looked at everybody else? Forgot about yourself. Aaron, you, you've got to make yourself right. Before you can help other people to be right. Verse 16. And he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities 
of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. Everything has to be cleaned. And then verse 18. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. And with his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it. And from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. Oh, how tedious preacher. And you look back at this, this day of atonement and you, and you say, God, thank you for the blood of Jesus that all I have to do is open my mouth and humble my heart. That I don't have to go through all of, all of this, but, but I can come to you every day, Lord, and I ask your forgiveness. And their sins were, if you will, rolled forward because they did it every single year. And in verse 20, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. And then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it <clears throat> excuse me, all all of the iniquities of the sons of Israel. Well, God might not count, you know. I don't have to repent for it. Then, this one wasn't, this one I'm, I'm just, I'm not ready to repent of yet. Oh, I, I forgot. I forgot about this one last week. I, all of the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins and shall lay on them the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on it all their iniquities to a solitary land and shall release the goat in the wilderness. All. All. How many of the sins? All. I wonder this morning. Are, are there any sins that I need to repent of? Turn to Hebrews 10 for just a moment. Beginning in verse 1. It wasn't. It wasn't the, the blood of the goat and the bull. It was Jesus. How can you not love Jesus? God, I, I give you. God, I've got to give you everything. Right? I, I want to give you everything because of what Jesus has done for me. 
for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things that can never by the same sacrifices year by year which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible, impossible, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Preacher, it's just so tedious. Every Sunday you, you say the same thing in part of your sermon. It's always that we have to confess and we have to repent of our sins. Why do you keep saying that? Go back and look at the Day of Atonement. It is a critical conversation that we are having this morning. Someone has to pay the price for that sin. Have I repented of all of my sins? See, that's why the Bible tells us to stay in prayer because it seems like in most, almost all of our prayers, we're asking God to forgive us of something. We're confessing something that we've done wrong, a thought that came into our mind or an action that we displayed or unfaithfulness or maybe not unfaithfulness, but borderline faithfulness. I mean, I don't know, what you, right? whatever it is. And it seems like we ought to just be in prayer all the time and ensure that while we're praying, we make it right with God. And when I find myself in anger, and he said, preacher, the Bible says be angry, but sin not. I know. But on the other hand, it also says the anger of man cannot fulfill the righteousness of God. Right? James chapter 1. So I want to stay away from anger. And when I find myself in anger, I'm saying, God, please help me not to, not to sin in my anger. Don't, don't take it too far. You look at all the nations that went too far and then God punished them for their iniquities. Lord, help me. Because I need you. In, in, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 8, in verse 6, all the great joy of this new covenant but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he also is a mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for the second. Now here's a question. The New Testament says we ask God for forgiveness. We, you know, baptism, I already went over that. And we ask God's forgiveness and God is faithful and God will forgive us. Old Testament, there's this process that has to happen looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. Why would you want to go back there to the Old Testament and live? Here's a better covenant, and the fault was found in the people. The people couldn't keep it right. And they bring this lamb unspotted. And was there ever really an unspotted lamb? Right. Except for the Lamb of God. But they did the best they could. And even the best they could wasn't good enough. But there's this new covenant in Jesus. And the Bible says, well, finding fault with them, verse 8. He says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them. Was that in your Bibles too? 
Wait. They were living in sin and did not keep my covenant and I did not care for... This is a critical topic. This is a critical discussion that we're having this morning. Sin is serious. Stay away from it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's different. The old covenant, it was revisited every year. The new covenant, it's forgiven and forgotten by God. But you have to play your part. I have to play my part by asking God for forgiveness. By repenting of my sins. When he said a new covenant... He has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is, and growing old is ready to disappear. I want to turn to Romans 9. I want to turn to you a scripture. And kind of wrapping this up, I want to look at a, a few more scriptures just quickly. A, 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 a chapter in a, in a, in a, a few verses that, that I really struggle with as a babe in Christ. You know, God extended mercy uh, to mankind. And mercy is, is that, you know, follows that word loving kindness, which is that indescribable word, right? It's so deep and so far and so wide and all that. You just, you just can't explain it. It's just so amazing. It encompasses the idea of loving kindness. It's unmerited favor, right? God showed compassion to us. God, God showed us pity, if you will. He pitied us. He did what he had to do to save us because of the fact that Mercy is God's intrinsic nature. And, and sin is contrary to the Godhead. And God had to fix it for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. It's not about our goodness. It's not about our intelligence. It's not about our, our bank accounts. It's, it's always been about God. It's about God. But, but here's what was wrong with me. I'm going to talk about me for just a moment. That arrogance and their pride, right? Romans 9, I struggle with because, because Romans 9 dealt with this idea of, of, of grace and mercy. And, and I didn't quite understand um, uh, what grace and mercy truly was. I understood it on an elementary level, but what does it really mean on a spiritual level and its depth? And here's what I didn't understand. You and I, the whole world, we are recipients of a gift. We can't dictate to God what he must do. And that's what the church in the world has done. They try to dictate to God, even though God has said things very clearly, we try to dictate to God what he must do for us. Because we are worthy in some sense, right? In our own minds. So I struggle with Romans 9, and I'm reading Romans 9. I get to verse 14. 
after studying about Jacob and Esau, and uh, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what? Well, that includes me, right, God? I mean, I, I deserve to be, receive your mercy. You, I mean, what do you mean you, you have mercy on whom you desire and you, aren't you God? <laughs> God didn't really hear my statement. <laughs> yeah, he is God. And I, and I struggled when I read through this and I, and I struggled with it because there, there was a problem from what I learned about God and heard about God in the past. You know, you can live any way you want and, and you know God's a God who, of change and, and God don't worry about it it's going to be alright and everybody goes to heaven and all dogs go to heaven and it's going to be alright and that, that wasn't what the Bible said and I struggled with that and I read this and I, and I sat back and I wondered well wait a minute what does this mean you know what it means the majority of the world are going to hell you know what else it means the majority of the church won't make it either. That's not the God I've been hearing about, <laughs> right? So, as you hear that statement, you, maybe, you, maybe something resonated in your mind, and you said, well, wait a minute. You can't say that, preacher. But God says, I, can, I will have mercy on whom I desire. I will choose whomever I wish. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Well, that to me, I well, wait a minute, well, was God a bully? What do you mean, God, that you can, oh, wait, I started, oh, wait a minute, I understand. I'm not God. That was the problem. I think I thought I was. How about you? That's my own God, right? I can do what I want, when I want. I've got strength, power, might, etc. I can do whatever I want. Well, that's true. We can. But you're not supposed to. We're supposed to surrender to God. I struggled with this. And I, and I kept reading. And as you continue reading, he, he sets up Pharaoh. And he says, uh, so, verse 16, so that it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has... But wait a minute, God. What about all these... In, in my day, it was only old people went to church, right? What about all those old people going to church? And God said, it still doesn't depend upon them it depends upon me. What about those? And I started going through the whatabouts, and then I had to read the scripture again, and God says, don't you realize that your best is filthy to me? And I struggled with that. How about you? And I kept on reading, and I got to verse 17. So the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, you raised him up and then, you, and then you crushed him. I didn't know the story of Pharaoh. I didn't know the account of Pharaoh. I didn't know how Pharaoh, I didn't know. So is that fair? And then I got to verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And as I wrestled through that through a time period you just got to keep reading. 
I realized something in chapter 11. I realized that I was basing my understanding of the scriptures on my limited amount of knowledge. And I still had a ways to go. And then as I kept on reading, I realized I not only have a ways to go, I have an eternity to go. And I got to this verse in verse 33 of chapter 11. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I think I'm kind of figuring this out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And I had to learn how to glorify God. And I had to remember this very thought in my mind. You are a recipient of a gift. You are not allowed to dictate what your gift is. That changes your whole perspective of life, church. When you start thinking about, we're going to Hebrews 9 and we're closing. When you start thinking about, I'm a recipient. So, so this morning, we, you, know, you know, people can get upset about the sermons you hear, and, and then you can get upset with God, and we can, we can argue with God, and we can argue our points all day long, and, and we can stand right in our own mind. But let me tell you something, in the end, it comes back to God. It doesn't really have anything to do with us. It's all God. And it's all about God. It's all about God. And that's what we have to come to in our Christian walk of faith. It's all about God. And God doesn't owe me anything. And I need to make sure that I don't treat God as if he owes me something. Atonement. God did it by himself. Because I couldn't do it for myself. And you couldn't do it for yourselves. What, a, what an amazing God it is that we serve. Are you thankful this morning? Are you, are you thankful this morning how amazing God is? And that we're recipients of a gift. In Hebrews 9 and verse 23, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these by the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands. A mere copy of the true one. But into heaven itself not to appear in the appearance of God for us. Now to appear, excuse me. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with the blood not of his own. Otherwise, he would have need to suffer one uh, often rather since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. And after this comes the judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin 
to those who eagerly await him. Atonement. That's a big word, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's you know, I don't know, eight, nine, ten letters. No, but it's a big word. Because without it, without what Jesus did for us, all of us die lost. All of us. And none of us have a chance of being saved. No Jew, no Gentile. From Adam to the last man on earth. The blood of Jesus is absolutely amazing. The lesson is yours this morning. I hope and pray that as you consider the idea of atonement, that your love for God increases and that your faith grows. If we can help you this morning in any way, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Oh.